as an entrepreneur, you're always you're always as good as like your next idea. And then you know, we obviously we're running a, a pretty large organization now, and and it takes a lot of energy and discipline just to keep this thing going. And then of course we want this to keep going forever, for a very very long time. That's why we we also took the public uh, company public so on can live independently for a long time and so as soon as we start resting on our on our past successes that's the first day of, of decline so it's more like hey wow you know very appreciative but then also you see the the people that were on so i see the people that don't wear on sale and there are a lot more out there that's how success happens from entrepreneur magazine my name is robert tuckman i self-funded built up and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Casper Kupetti grew up in a small mountain village in Switzerland. He is well known for co-founding one of the fastest growing running shoe brands with a global presence in the world. Today, that company on is listed on the New York Stock Exchange after going public in 2021. Personally, I've noticed the growth of these sneakers firsthand, and I even bought a pair myself. They feel great. But on like 99.9% of the founders and companies I interview, don't just take off right out of the gate. There are tons of challenges and getting thrown down along the way. What was most inspiring to me was when Casper recited the story of when he was trying to get his brand over here to the U.S. Flying from Switzerland to New York with a backpack, holding a few samples, he had one store and chain who agreed to see him. And when he arrived, the buyer at this medium-sized chain refused to even acknowledge him. Today, let's just say that specific account is selling a lot of on sneakers. Because Casper never quit. He never gave up. He kept pursuing his dream of a running shoe built with OnCloud's cloud tech technology, which seeks to give on shoe wearers the perfect running sensation. I love stories like that. And I love gritty entrepreneurs. But I had to start this interview by asking Casper about growing up in a tiny mountain village far from cities, and how it impacted him in his life and business. Thanks for having me, Robert. Hey, yeah. Look, I grew up in a, in a town with less than 3,000 people um, in the heart of the Swiss Alps. And I literally I grew up, most of my uh, childhood friends were, were farmers and I helped them with the cows. And, you know, I was there when uh, baby sheep were born. And um, it taught me taught me a lot, taught me uh, responsibility, taught me leadership. Have you ever um, heard of uh, 20, uh, you know, uh, 20 cows, basically moving them from one pasture to the other? I was maybe in fourth grade and I remember I was leading them across a um, a road and there was this lady in a silver Mercedes and she honked the horn and one of the cows got scared and she jumped on the hood. And here I was at, I don't know how old, I was maybe 10, 10 years old. Yeah, so those were the kind of experiences. But I mean, you know, Switzerland is a, is a, is a great place to, to, to grow up and, you know, even in, in a small 
town like that, we have we have good schools. We have great public schooling. And my mom was a librarian. She actually ran the, the school library. So I had that influence. So I was either um, outside doing sports. Um, and that's where, you know, the, the, the link to what I do today comes in. Or I was I was uh, reading books. We didn't have a TV, but there was no cinema around. And so that that was that was pretty much my my childhood and youth. And uh, from from that, uh, definitely my, my passion for movement, from being outside for, for sports was born. What was that like? Your mom was a librarian and, um, you know, you were always outside. You know, did she have an influence on you in terms of furthering your education? And potentially even today, is there still an influence you feel from her? creating this incredible business absolutely and you know she, she'd be proud when she when she listens to this um <laughs> the like a lot of people in my family i mean i had a higher education so uh, my my grandma for example was one of the first women in switzerland that got a phd wow um, she 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 had a, a law background so you know the academics was in my family my dad also was, was an engineer and a phd so that was almost like a given and in my family like uh, education and wisdom always counted more than than having money or you know or those kind of things and, and so that was definitely an influence but then i also have to say um, um my my dad was an entrepreneur in our whole household there was always this notion everything is possible but you have to try hard yeah, that was that was like you know I never heard no. It was like hey, it sounds a little bit out there, but if you really believe in it, go try it. You know, and that was that was great encouragement. And and so you know, when when we founded the what is now on, you know, a lot of people uh, were very skeptical, and you know, <laughs> this is regarded as a huge risk. And you know, I, I'll concur, it was a huge risk. Um, and then, you know, the Swiss are not necessarily risk takers, but um, I never heard my my parents or anybody in the family say, "Well, this is." stupid idea you should you know go and get a job as an accountant or go work for a swiss bank um everybody had a lot of encouragement now watching your father and, and as an entrepreneur what did he do and what did you learn from him my dad and his uh, his brothers were second generation entrepreneurs that's that's not an easy spot to be in but what i what i learned is just the uh the responsibility that comes with it, but also the freedoms. And I'm an explorer at heart, you know, for me, like degrees of freedom and, and, and opportunities to make new experiences. That's what always driven me. And I, you know, I always wanted to, you know, I had an older sister, maybe that's part of it, but I always wanted to be the first to do something. And, you know, my, my sister would get, uh, you know, like learn how to ride a horse when she was maybe six and I was three, you know, and, you know, I would fall off the horse, but I, uh, and, you know, I was one of the first snowboarders in Switzerland. Um, this was in, in, in 18, 1988. Yeah, wow. you know, I was always, so, you know, that's, that's a constant. And even today at on, I, I, you know, as, as the co-founder and now executive co-chairman, I always take on the, the future projects, say like, like what's way out there and like, let's dream something up and then make it happen. Yeah, that shows, I mean, it's incredible from your upbringing and how that even impacts you today within this massive New York Stock Exchange business. I think you were the first person from your small town to actually go to college or graduate 
from college? Is that well, from from the class of about twenty two kids in in my grade? You know that that yeah. was the only one to 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 go on. And from from that small town to I remember the first time I drove into Manhattan with a, a sample in my backpack to see a first potential customer, um, Jack Rabbit, the running store in New York City. Sure. I was literally was like you know almost sold the cab driver to turn around and take me back to JFK. <laughs> um, I was so scared. You have no idea. These, you know, when you come across the bridge, the buildings are taller than the mountains where I grew up. Wow! And you know, I was like, "Wow, who's waiting for for a Smith? Uh, you know, for a Swiss boy with a, a crazy product idea?" But everything turned out all right. No, absolutely. Funny thing is, is Jackrabbit is literally right on my corner. Uh, at least the one that on the Upper West Side here. So um, now every time I walk by there, I'm going to think of that. Tell me what it was like starting this business. Like you just said, talk about where the idea came from and then how you had to throw a knapsack on and go to New York to try and sell it. What was that like and how did it come together? Yeah, so a lot, every idea has lots of, of fathers and mothers, right? And and uh, you know to, to to maybe tell the short version of the story. So there was a Swiss engineer, a good friend of ours at today, that kind of reinvented the cushioning system, and he was he was looking to to make a product that allows you to slide into your step as you're running, similar to a tennis player being able to slide when they play on a clay court, and thus taking away a lot of the um, causes for injury. And so he built a form factor that he patented, and at the time he reached out to Olivier, uh, my co-founder. Olivier was one of the best triathletes in the world, and uh, very well known in Switzerland. And he basically um, commissioned him as a test runner. And Olivia had always had a very curious mind and, uh, and was a very, you know, gear freak. And so he first he thought, well, this is this is really weird looking. It was actually, you know, it looked like, you know, someone had cut up garden hoses and glued them at, on the bottom of a shoe. Um, that's actually how the first prototype was, was literally made. But he tried them on and he was like, wow, this is something I had never experienced um, before when running. And so they bound, they banded together. And he then contacted me and said, hey, Casper, um, I, I co-invented a running shoe. Can you help me bring it to market? And that's when I was like, Olivier, that's a really stupid idea. You're never <laughs> going to stand a chance against, you know, this will never work. You know, like, and, and to, all, to all of the people out there that told me it would never work, hey, I'm, I was one of them. I told Olivier, it's right there, this wouldn't work. But he insisted and uh, he gave me a pair to try. And I will never forget the first time I put them on. Just uh, walked around the conference room and it was like, wow, you can see the technology, you can feel it. Back then, you know, the shoes squeaked like hell. So you could even hear the technology. But yeah, I was a marketeer and I was like, wow, this is unique. You know, usually we try to, at the time I was working for Young and Rubicum, a branding and advertising agency. And we were trying to sell mobile phone subscriptions. And, you know, like the only point of difference, it would be like you send a hundred text messages, you get the free movie theater ticket, you know. And here we had a technology. So that gave us the courage to do it. And a lot of people, including myself, that were injured runners or, or not great runners, had a lot of success and more fun uh, running. And that's, that's what gave us the courage. And that was also what kept us going because in the beginning, pretty much everything that can go wrong when you make a physical product did go wrong. But the, those early fans encouraged us to, to continue and don't give up. How hard was that for you at the time? Or was it hard to leave, you know, this corporate job, as you talk about Young and Rubicam, major advertising agency, and join as a co-founder and start this business that initially you're even thinking, I don't know how this is going to work. <laughs> yeah. 
it was very, very scary. And today I look back at my, uh, you know, like younger self and I'm, I'm just laughing at me, you know, like I was so timid. I wasn't, I wasn't an entrepreneur. Maybe I thought I, I was, but, uh, but I wasn't. And yeah, you know, we were all in a little bit in a, in a golden cage. Um, you know, we were, you know, we we're making, I was, I think I made like 300,000 a year. I just bought a house, had a mortgage, and we went from that to to not knowing how we would pay the bills the next day. But it's also very liberating. So if any anyone is listening that is thinking about starting a business, it's very risky, it's very hard, but it's also very rewarding. Yeah, we have a lot of listeners, obviously this being for Entrepreneur, the magazine and the network of lots of folks out there who want to take that dive off the diving board or, or want to do, and it's... Sometimes it's so difficult because like you said, you just put a, you know, you have a mortgage on a house and, and to go from the unknown to the known, that's really hard to do for a lot of people. Yeah. Take the plunge, jump. (laughs) I agree. It's like life's too short. And, you know, I know there's certain people are in certain situations, but if you have a passion, which it sounded like you did or do still, and an idea you know, I'm always go for it. I want to ask you that first year, as you said, looking at the product and and knowing you were going to go out and market and sell this, what were some of those challenges you had and, and how'd you overcome some of those? So, you know, we have the full monty of, of, of problems. We have a physical product product that be uh, engineered, design, produce, ship, invoice, and, you know, and, and, and to make things worse, you know, Switzerland is a very small country. So we started in six different countries on day one with everything like taxes, laws, customs, um, BAT. It was very, very complex. The, you know, what the thing that people probably think it would be the hardest to actually find a manufacturer and make these shoes. That wasn't, that wasn't so hard because our industry, everybody has outsourced production. So you basically just have to find a good factory and convince them that, that, that you're legit and you're going to be around. And, and usually that also takes like a down payment up front to, to basically say, okay, please make us 10,000 pairs or 30,000 pairs or something, something like that. So that, you know, that was part of it. But then also just also learning how the industry works. And this is, I think, where we had a huge advantage. We were all outsiders. We had never been part of the sports industry. We had never manufactured nor sold anything in our lives. I mean, I was a consultant. So we came in and we, we asked the right questions or questions maybe that an industry insider would not have asked. And sometimes or many times, actually, the answers that we got were not convincing. Most of the time, it was like, yeah, that's just how it is. And we're like, well, I'll give you an example. So it takes about four months to reproduce an existing uh, running shoe. So you you know, you already made a uh, hundred thousand or so, and then you place a new order, it takes four months. Why? And we really asked these questions and it turns out that the part that's the least exciting in a running shoe, the fabric for the opera take the longest. So for example, we said, well, um, we already know that we're over the next six months, we're gonna sell 200,000 of, of black shoes and just making something up. Can't you start buying the material now? And we use it whenever, you know, whether we use it the uh, you know, in June or July, it won't matter that much. And then I guess, sure. And, and we literally shortened our lead time from four months to four weeks. And just like that, you know, the, the, the working capital that you save, uh, how you can react to trends and you can get behind something. Those are huge, huge things. And, and so I think to have that mindset of, 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 of questioning and, and, and trying to do things different, not just in the product itself, but in the whole, in every process and in, in go, going to market and speak to the consumer, 
that is something that has defined on from from day one and it's it's still helping is there ever a time early on in that first year or two where you questioned yourself or thought you may have made a wrong decision we had a lot of encouragement from runners from users and, and you know so we never had the moment where we, we where we we sit in an office and the phone doesn't ring you know we all, we're always like trying to 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 catch up with 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 uh, demand. So that was that was good. But there, you know, there of course there were hard times, and you know, some of the the the, the strongest rejections came from actually the running shops, the you know, the Jack Rabbits of this world. Yeah. And I remember that that trip that I, I quickly alluded to. The buyer at the time, she she received me, and actually had to go the you know down the stairs to the basement, and she refused to put the shoes on to try them. Imagine I had just flown, traveled for something like 12 hours, spent a lot of money to get there. And, and she did not want to try the shoes. And I was like, well, is that going to be our experience? And we have people that then actually did try the shoes. And they were like, well, this is the worst running shoes I've ever tried. Or I've had people that opened the discussion when I showed up. And this is maybe my third trip to that particular store coming in and saying, I only have five minutes and I hate your product. So those, those are the kind of rejections. And over time, you realize this is all, this is all a game. This is psychology. And, and you, know, how, you know, how do you get from, you probably need to hear no three times before it's a yes or a maybe. So you just want to get the, through these three yeses as quickly as possible. Maybe get them out of the way in the first meeting. So, you know, not, not having a fear of rejection, uh, you know, that, that, those are those very important things. But overall, there were a lot more positive things. We had one, one very dicey situation, and that's when our um, supplier went bankrupt just before Chinese New Year, just before everything was supposed to go on a boat. And God knows how the product came out of the factory, but uh, somehow we got it out and we survived. When you had found that out, you and your partners and her, what was going through your mind? Well, you know, this is, this is uh, uh, something that we had on a constant basis. I would say in the first year, the world seemed to come to an end about once a week, like a life threatening situation. And, you know, you go into panic mode. And the good thing is, you know, it, you know, we were three founding partners and nothing creates more unity and more, um, uh, drive than like, you know, a good crisis, you know, like it just aligns everybody and like, we have to resolve this. So we, you know, we constantly went into this crisis mode and then over time, you know, the, those, those life threatening moments, they started to occur, occur only once a month and then, uh, once every six months and then once a year and you become very resilient. And as leaders, you know, today, not many things can face us. And, you know, sometimes our people are like, you know, this is really bad. We're like, well, yeah, it's, you know, it's not going to kill us. Right. So uh, let's, let's, let's not even look at who's to blame. So how do we resolve this? I love that because it's so true. I'm so guilty of this being an entrepreneur running businesses where I panic the moment it happens, but then with the resiliency, and like you said, you go into that mode of figuring out and solving really helps the business in the long run. And it helps you get better. And I'm sure there's so many people when they have those moments are like, forget it, I'm done. And it's hard, but you go through them. And like you said, now at the point you're at where, you know, others who might be younger to the business or younger to being in business, are freaking out and you guys are like, don't, don't worry. We've been through, you know, a bankruptcy on the day we're going to launch. And, you know, I, I want to ask you, I live in New York city, as I said, Jack rabbit, right? <laughs> Literally right on my block, which I love now to know this. I see your sneakers all over 
New York City. I mean, if I tell you whether it's at the gym or in Central Park, I would estimate like 30 percent. I'm shocked. It's like everyone has them. Hope you're shocked in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> I told you my my uh, my wife has several pairs. I only have one. But how does that in terms of those humble beginnings in the Swiss Alps, like how did the company have this rapid growth? Yeah, well, we, we don't know. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, we know, you know, so I mean, I would be lying to say this was all like one big master plan and we just executed it. But I mean, that first moment when I put on the shoes and I felt something that was very different, that magical moment that happened millions of times over. And and I can actually, and I've been there in many, many moments where people try it on for the first time and you can see it in their eyes. It's like this aha moment. I get it. And then what happens from that moment, obviously, you know, it, it, you know, once you try, you buy, that's one thing, but then you're, you're very likely to tell, you know, five to 10 uh, people around you, Hey, you gotta, you gotta try these. So the whole growth has been very organic. And then it has been, has been, you know, this is maybe a, you know, not, not the greatest analogy, but it's been very viral. You know, these, these shoes are contagious and they're addictive. It's hard to go back. And at the same time, we live in a, in a, in a time when, when consumers are a little bit fed up with the, like the very big brands um, and their marketing power and, and their, their power in general. And they like to work with, you know, discover like the, the craft beer brands, you know, and, and, and on, even though we're, we're over a billion in sales now, you know, we're still for many people, you know, there are a lot more people in, in, in the U.S., for example, are, are today discovering on that already know about it. And so you can be in the know. And I, I probably sold about 10 iPhones here in Switzerland when they first came out. That was so, this, it was a great product. And I was proud to be one of the first ones to have one. And I, I told many people, and that's what, what's happening with that. So it's been very, very organic. And, you know, we're, we're at this intersection of, of uh, performance and style and performance in a kind of everyday setting ter- uh, translates into comfort. And comfort and convenience drive a lot of, uh, a lot of consumer choices. So I think it's all there. And of course, the pandemic helped. I mean, I remember when, you know, we obviously couldn't travel for a while in 2020. And then we came back to New York for the IPO uh, about a year later. And it, we were blown away. I mean, what you're describing, I remember I was in New York before and I would literally say hi to everybody that wore a pair of ones, you know, and like introduce myself, one of the founders, you know, if I did this today, I mean, it no longer happens. Right. I mean, yeah. I sometimes still do it. Like the other day we were in Chicago and an ex to us on a, on a red light, a FedEx truck pulled up and you know how they have no doors. So there was this, this really cool uh, looking uh, dude in there and he wore one of our just uh, most recently launched products, the cloud list. And I turned on the window and I'm like, Hey, where do you get these shoes? Yeah, they're really cool. I got them there. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I made those. And he's like, what? And he pulls out his phone. You know, those, the, and then, you know, the, the lights turn green and, and, you know, and off we went. But those are, the, those are the, still the magic moments. More from our guest, but first, a word from our sponsors. This episode of How Success Happens is being presented by State Farm. Being a small business owner can be so fulfilling rewarding, and let's be honest, a little scary from time to time. Doing your own thing and being your own boss is great, but sometimes it can make you feel like you're all alone, especially when things aren't going great. Well, the folks at State Farm want you to know you're not alone. 
State Farm has thousands of agents who are small business owners too, so they know what it takes to protect everything you've worked so hard for. State Farm has an assortment of insurance policies for small businesses that can be tailored to your needs. So whether you're a hairstylist, an electrician, or a florist, State Farm agents are ready to help. Learn more and find an agent today at statefarm.com slash small business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And our next sponsor. As business leaders, our time is pulled in a lot of different directions. Maybe it's managing emails or organizing your calendar or even following up on projects. Saying no to those tasks could help you actually reclaim an average of 15 hours every week to say yes to the things you love. It's time to focus on your strengths and delegate your weaknesses. Belay has been helping busy leaders with their staffing solutions for over a decade. Belay intentionally pairs clients with virtual assistants, accounting, and more. Great leaders don't do anything alone. Find the support you need to delegate the details with Belay. Get the right help now with a virtual assistant from Belay. Text HSH to 55123 to get $300 off your startup fee for a virtual assistance when you schedule a call before August 31st. That's HSH to 55123 to save $300 and reclaim 15 hours every week. And we're back. How does that make you feel when you think back to that first trip with that knapsack to New York and a buyer who won't even try on the shoes? Like personally, what's that feeling inside? Gratitude. I mean, it's just, you know, the, you know, people maybe think like you're, you're exhilarated or like, you know, you, you think you, you made it or whatever, but it's more like as an entrepreneur, you're always, you're always as good as like your next idea. And then, you know, we obviously we're running a, a pretty large organization now and, and it takes a lot of energy and discipline just to keep this thing going. And then of course we want this to keep going forever for a very, very long time. That's why we, we also took the public uh, company public. So on can live independently for a long time. And so as soon as we start resting on our on our past successes, that's the you know the first day of of decline. So it's more like, hey, wow, you know, very appreciative. But then also, you know, you see the the people that wear ons. I see the people that don't wear ons. You know, and there are a lot more out there. So you know, we're an industry where you have someone like the swoosh, where they are something what forty four billion in revenue, and they're still growing. So you know, we have many many good years of big of of, of you know very strong growth ahead. To, to a bit, potentially catch up with them. So, so we're more focused on that. Yeah, you guys are growing. And, and obviously from an original pair of sneakers, you've had new products. Can you tell us about just some of the newer products that you're really hyped on or that have done well and just going from that original pair? Yeah, so I mean, the, the brand was, was founded to help uh, injured runners to run again and run better and, and maybe have more fun doing so. And that's still the, the roots and the core of the business. Now, of course, running shoes have come a long way since we started at the time. We were the only ones that made very flexible, well-cushioned shoes. Now, everybody does that. So we had to stay ahead of the curve. Uh, we just launched a shoe that's called the Cloud Monster that has a, a very, very thick outsole, but it has the, 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 the cloud uh, technology that holds you know, for, for those that uh, maybe are not so familiar with the technology. And so you have an amazing 
slightly cushioned ride, but you can still feel the ground that you run on. And so it's a, it's, it's a very supercharged uh, feeling and it's not just like we're putting a thicker mattress onto your foot. So, and then as some listeners may be aware in the past, like the type of running shoe you wore didn't necessarily impact your performance. And then for the last couple of years, you know, new shapes, new foams, and new carbon plates came into play. And actually today footwear can make you faster and it's, it's significant. It's four or 5%. And so, so what we, we've learned in this process and we, we now make some of the fastest shoes uh, in the market, which just won a couple medals in, 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 in the world and the Commonwealth games at the European championships this year. What we've learned there, we bring to everyday runners and, you know, new geometries. And, you know, if, if you feel like a, you know, running is very hard and you try a pair of lawns like the club monster, especially, you feel like, wow, I'm, I'm going faster. I feel less pain. My legs are fresher afterwards. And, and that's a great moment. So that's that's one, one thing. The other thing is we've taken that uh, running, light, agile sensation into the outdoors. Uh, obviously, we are from Switzerland. I, I grew up and I still live in the mountains. So we spend a lot of time on the trails. Um, and, and how can you liberate people that are on the trail? A lot of these, you know, these mountaineering and outdoor brands, they come from very heavy boot type um, equipment. And, and we're all about connecting people with the trails, liberating them. So, so that's obviously a, a huge trend. And a lot of people also in the US are going, are joining the great outdoors. And then the, the last thing is, you know, people started I would say in about 2014, 2015, started to wear our running shoes for lifestyle purposes in the street, like they do with all the brands. But I have to tell you, Robert, it sucked. It bothered us because we made these amazing technical performance products and people wore them with jeans. So at some point, we started to embrace this and said, well, you know, let's, you know, if that's what people want to do, let's give them a very versatile product that you can run in, you can use in the gym, but are going to look amazing. I feel amazing through, you know, New York is for me the ultimate city, you know, where every, every New Yorker is an because you're doing lots of miles, you're going up and down the stairs, you're going to the subway, you sweat, rains, it's cold, and then the day never stops. You know, you go, you go to the office, you go to a restaurant, you go to a, to a club afterwards, um, and, and we make products that, that that allow you to go through the day. And there, uh, probably most prominently, um, we reinvented the tennis sneaker um, with with our business partner Roger Federer. <laughs> um, where we, we, we took a very yeah and, and uh, we felt that if not with him with whom like who else has the right to to reinvent like that classic elegant leather sneaker uh, and that, the most elegant tennis player ever ever alive yeah that's for sure and you know it's interesting because when you were talking you know i still feel like internally for you this is a mission a mission for for runners and and you still go back to that time and seeing just everyday people wearing those sneakers is certainly a good thing. But at at the end of the day, you were in this business because of a passion. And it seems like you still, you still really, as much as you enjoy people buying your sneakers and making a new product, it still seems to me like that passion is alive. You're here for athletes. Absolutely. And Hey, look, Every on product you can run in, you know. So if somebody buys an on on pair, even uh, you know as a sneaker, um, hey, you have a you have a really high tech running shoe uh, in your in your closet. Actually, one of the the best known models from on is called the Cloud. It's the one with the bungee laces. 
I think the one that's I the one you, you're using as well, right? <laughs> um, if you go through TSA at the airport, you'll see uh, millions of them. That's actually the very same shoe that Nicola Spiriga, you know, one of the best triathletes ever, won a war when she took the silver medal in the Rio Olympics. So we made that shoe for her to compete in, and it became a, a lifestyle staple. One of the biggest silhouettes in the market. I mean, up there with, you know, a Vans Old School and then a Nike Air Max uh, in terms of how many pairs we sell globally. So, you know, but that's totally rooted in in, in, in sports. And, and this is not that long ago. It's six years ago, it was the lightest running shoe on the market. It's probably still one of the, you know, top two or three lightest uh, products. So that's one. The other thing is, I mean, you know, we're definitely, we're, we're very driven. And, you know, we wouldn't be here if we weren't extremely competitive. So we're, uh, most of us were athletes themselves. We actually go out on run courses. So in New York, we go out and we go on the Hudson. We go into Central Park. And I personally sit down and count runners and see Love what it. they're wearing. And I'm, I'm, I determine on market share and which of our new models uh, show up and, and you know, in New York, we're probably just below 10% of runners. And we want to be the number one on runners' feet. That's the mantra that I probably use about four or five times every day. Everybody here at all knows it. And that's what we're that's what we're gunning for. And and you know, we can probably triple our market share on runners' feet until we're the number one. Yeah, no pun intended. You guys definitely have a, a lot of a runway. I know that you recently released some pretty impressive Q2 earnings results. Do you mind sharing some of the highlights of of those results and and just what you guys have accomplished? Well, no, thank you. Yeah. Hey, look, we're, we're blown away by by the response that we get in, in many markets. And, and you know, our, we grew uh, 67% in the first half year over last year. And, and, you know, when you look at overall, I think since we started, we had almost uh, something like uh, 85, 90% caker. But actually, the 67% means it, it has that's higher than we had some years, like 2016, 2017, in terms of growth. So the, the business is actually accelerating. I mean, it's driven by consumer demand. On, on is not chasing the sales you know, they, they happen pretty organically so most of that comes out of existing stores that sell more obviously our own need to see we have a store in new york but we could when we look at the sales side we probably say nine times no out of 10 10 10 asks if you want to be in x or y store so we're really trying to keep distribution very limited but it's it's just happening it's, it's happening because you know what you what you said people see the brand pop up in the industry they approach like, hey what are these i see them everywhere and you'll be like well these are extremely comfortable you should try them and that's how the wheel keeps spinning and so in the us uh, which is currently our, our largest market uh, we, we're still growing at 100 percent we grow at 100 percent in australia we tripled in in uh, or in japan we tripled in in china and nowhere are we even near a market saturation and that's again that comes back to us uh, coming from switzerland and not having this huge home market but we basically you know planted all these small um, trees 12 years ago and and now they're they're turning into forests and it's a good position to be in because we can be very very selective what we want to do with the brand and uh, we can we can chase the higher end of the market. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. Just the growth and and like you said, not even close to saturation point, uh, especially as the whole category grows. And, you know, I just think that with what you have accomplished and built, and it seems like you come in every day, you're still really building this business out. Do you have plans 
further plans to, you know, I know you have one store here in New York and is opening new stores part of the game plan? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, New York was a trial and I was very skeptical of opening stores because the, the commitment you make towards the lease and the build out and all that, and many great band, brands have have uh, yeah, have run into trouble because of, you know, they had met too many stores in the wrong location. So, we, you know, we did the New York store and we were very uh, cautious and it turns out it works extremely well. It's not just a very big commercial engine, but it's also a great way to connect with people. So every, I think twice a week, we have a, a run out of the store that draws anywhere between 50 to 100 people every single time. And, you know, the store is way too small. Like we were probably a little bit too... Uh, cautious. That's the Swiss side in us. Yeah. We're like, well, you know, 106,600 uh, square feet. That sounds like a big store. And unfortunately, you know, and apologies, you know, if anyone of you have, have stood in the line there, like literally on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, there's probably like a 4,500 wait just to get into the store. So we're rolling the store out actually a little bit bigger to Venice Beach, to Miami this year, to London. We we opened early this year. We opened one in, in Tokyo. I mean, Omotesanto. I always dreamed of having a store there. I don't know if you've ever been, but that's like the mm. nicest shopping area in the world. There's nothing that even comes close in the United States. And we have, uh, I would say, about uh, seven or eight stores in China also. Wow. And, you know, one of the other things that I've known is the sustainability, the importance of sustainability. I mean, you make great, beautiful product, good look, but you've also had that as part of your DNA. Yeah, look, when you, when you grow up like I did in, in, in the Swiss Alps, you're very close to nature. And uh, we're, the Swiss are, are known to be the recycling world champions. Like we recycle everything. And it's kind of like, you know, we, we don't have the space to move on to the next place. So we had to take good care of our environment early on. And, but really when, when we found it on, as I said earlier, you know, we basically used the same factories and materials as everybody else. And, and, and at some point we were like, hey, that's not enough. And when you look at, I look out of my, my bedroom window um, at home and I see how the glaciers are receding and I see mm-hmm. how the tree line that's driven by temperature has, has gone up maybe maybe 300 feet or even 400 feet uh, over the past 10 years. And it's very clear that something's happening that's not good. So a couple of years ago, we said, well, okay, we want to be a thought and action leader uh, for sustainability and change the way things are done. And On is an innovation company at heart. And so rather than using that innovation power just to make people run faster or make an even lighter product, let's say, hey, can we also make the most sustainable product? And literally, we've done it the hard way. You know, we 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 have our in, internal uh, sustainability number crunching team that we take apart every single product and look at every piece and how can we make this better. To give you an idea on on, on greenhouse gases, so so climate, we have a goal of reducing our output by fifty five percent per unit produced until twenty thirty. So basically half the greenhouse gases per unit that we make. And uh, we just uh, last, uh, we just now uh, released our latest numbers and in 2021, we actually, you know, we're able to reduce it to by 17% wow. so far. So, you know, we're, we're on, a, on a good trajectory. The bad news is it's getting harder and harder. The quick wins we've, we've already done. And this can mean like just redesigning a piece that creates less less waste or, or leaving away some of the adornments on, on a product. And now we just started, uh, we actually, just uh, introducing a, a very, very exciting technology. We were able to make the first running shoe made completely out of captured carbon emissions. So we, we, we went to, this has been a five-year process, but the idea was, okay, can we pull carbon 
CO2 out of the air and turn that into foams and upper materials. And everybody told us it's not possible. Plus, well, at the time, the first biofuels came about, especially for aviation, where like some airlines started to use very, very small quantities where they actually used carbon emissions to make new new jet fuels. And I said, well, if you can make jet fuel, you can make plastics. It's a very similar chemical process. And we started working with, with research labs here at the leading universities and found partners, went down many dead ends but now succeeded and literally we're, we're, we're sourcing this now imagine there's a steel factory in Belgium and you have black smoke coming out of their, their smokestack and we're taking that and we're turning it into the most pristine, pristine running shoe that you've ever seen that's amazing so we're super proud of it the, the downside is or the problem is each of these pairs costs about two and a half million dollars <laughs> to make to make so you know you you have a you know six time markup you know you're talking uh, talking 15 million um, retail price there, there will be a couple people in New York that could hey, there's it. probably a, a crazy <laughs> enough a few uh, but maybe maybe check rabbit on the no but choking uh-huh. aside now the challenge is, and, and you know, we need to scale this to millions of pairs, and then costs will come down. And here, we're inspired by someone, you know, uh, like Elon at, at Tesla that has done that. You know, he's taken a, a technology that existed, but everybody said, "Well, this is not going to be economic. That the, the range is not going to be good. The battery is not there. Blah blah blah. It's not sexy." And he changed the industry. And now all of a sudden, electric cars are affordable. And if you're not making electric cars, you're probably out of business. And we feel on can be that agent of change for our industry. And what's what's super exciting about this material, we call it clean cloud, is a high-performing EVA foam. And EVA is uh, one of the plastics that is the most used. So every mattress uses EVA. Every car, uh, airplane, a lot of packaging is made from EVA. Imagine if you can go from one smokestack to all the smokestacks in the world, uh, you know, capture the carbon emissions and turn it into into EVA. And, and we might be able to match um, the, the cost curve eventually of, of conventional plastics that are made from petrol that you take out of the ground. That's, That's what we're working towards. That's amazing. For you personally, and looking forward, what is it that most excites you about the future of this business? And, and just even personally, for you in life, what is it that is still driving you? Hey, look, we have over 70 nationalities at on. The average age is about 32-ish. And we're lucky that we're able to provide an environment where people can be creative. So just coming to work and, and working with all these amazing people is super inspiring. And I, you know, I've gone from being the chief cheerleader and, you know, rallying the sales troops or, you know, the development team or a factory to now being you know, part being part of the journey and being part of the team. And I really enjoy that. Um, and that's one thing. The other thing is through the, the size that we now have, through the financial means, also after the IPO, we now have so many new avenues for innovation. And I said earlier, you know, for me, I'm the guy that is motivated by the new new and that that next thing. And, you know, you know, so I, you know, I have right now is a moment where I feel like I'm in a startup again. You know, I feel like I fell 12 years ago because, you know, what we're we'll able to do on sustainability, what we're we'll able to do in some ways uh, and how we interact with customers and, and you know, it never gets old. And whenever, you know, you, you know, you feel like, well, you achieved something, there's always the next door that opens and you didn't even know existed and options come up that you didn't know were around and you can, you can go after them. And, and that's what keeps it, keeps it exciting. Casper, before we let you go, I wanted to ask, if you had advice or just 
general suggestions. As we alluded to, there's a lot of our listeners are already entrepreneurs, maybe starting businesses, but there's a lot also who are sitting in those jobs at you know the Young and Rubicans of the world and the big companies and really have this idea. Any suggestions or advice for some of those would-be entrepreneurs? Yeah. Look, if you don't go, you will never know. Like if you don't try to take that plunge, you will never know whether you could have succeeded, right? This is a great job market right now, anywhere in the world. And, and you know, if you if you have half a brain and you're 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 motivated and engaged, you will find a job. And you know, we had this mantra that we always said, look, if we fail it on, we'll just go back to work. I love that. That's how I looked at it when I started my first business at a really young age, the worst that could happen, I'd have to go back to corporate America. But there's nothing like being an entrepreneur and it's incredible what you have built. And what I love is just how you really still seem to have that passion for what you're doing and creating for runners and, and all athletes and, and individuals. And you know that's really admirable especially on the sustainable side as well and what you're doing there. So I definitely would continue to showcase my odds and hopefully I don't turn off some people when they see me with them on them. <laughs> Just, you know, I can see, you know, if you wear them and you're smiling, that yeah. means you're having a good time. That's what we're all about. You know, we, we recently kind of uh, drafted our mission statement and it's, it's about igniting the human spirit through movement because as you move, you're more positive, you have better ideas, um, you know, it's contagious, you pass it on and all these things. And this is why we say dream on. I love that. Casper, thanks so much for coming on How Success Happens. It was a pleasure talking to Thank, you. Thanks for having me, Robert. You got it. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.